Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. We are working our way through crazy Christianity, and um, we are looking at this uh, book that is written to a, church, a new church in Corinth, and um, as we go through it week by week, um, there come some very interesting topics. We've covered disunity in the church and what to do in response to that. We've covered very kind of latterly sex and relationships because it's a very real issue, not just for the church in Corinth, but for us today. And we're moving to chapter 8, and it is, a, on the face of it, a passage Almost we say, why can't we just skip over that? It's all about food sacrificed to idols. But we're not skipping over it. There is something I know God wants to teach us through his scriptures and every part of it. So I'm going to read it and then we're going to, um, well, you're going to listen to me talk about it. Um, so here we go. So I'm going to read all 13 verses. Now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But we are not, as, but not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as being sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But f- food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother, for whom Christ died, is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fail. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We are a church here who want to know more about you. We want to not just know, but we want to love you. And Father, I pray as we understand more of what this passage means for us in 21st century Leeds, Lord, I pray your spirit would come. It would... uh, have profound impact on the words that I, I say today so that they are meaningful to our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So what's going on here? What kind of, just let me set the scene a little bit. We have a big issue here where the Corinthian church are asking the question, what is going on with this food? Should we eat it? Shouldn't we eat it? The city is Corinth. The issue is eating meat, and we've got two big groups of people. We have the Libertines and the Legalists. They sound a little bit like two pop bands. And the, the Libertines are uh, kind of uh, effectively, they totally embrace the freedom that God has given them that, uh, to live freely. The Legalists, 
they are living slightly differently. They are living with, with the law, and the law is central to their lives. I'll explain a little bit more about these two people groups as we carry on. But the people in Corinth, that there was, it was full of different temples and places where idols could be worshipped. And people thought that meat was possessed by demons, so that they took it to wherever the temple was that they worshipped at, not God, but whatever temple was, and they offered it to gods, and they believed that this God, this idol's presence, would fill it and chase away whatever demons were in the meat. So then, then they ate it, and they had a big food, kind of a festival, or uh, well, kind of a celebration, that this food was good, and that they were in it, they were worshipping the idol or the false god. And when Paul mentions knowledge in in the early part of chapter 8, he's referring to a certain truth comes again that the, the, new, the early church, the church in Corinth, had understood that was kind of against this idea that um, meat was um, demonized and had to be cleansed by false gods. And so the, 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 um, Paul mentions this truth. This truth is that meat is just meat. And... There is no God but one. To paraphrase, Paul is saying, this is the knowledge you know. A stake's a stake, and God is God, the only God. And living amongst the mature Christians who understood this truth, this knowledge, they understood it, they got it right. They got it right in how the, the way that the world was doing it, that the meat was demonized, that was wrong. But living amongst them were Christians who'd been saved out of that background, that their culture was, food had been sacrificed to idols, and those idols were meaningful in people's lives. The mature Christians who possessed this knowledge, Paul is coming up against them, and they're saying, you've got the knowledge, you've got it right, but you're not living in a loving way. They, they, were, make, they were pressuring these new believers to eat the meat that was sacrificed to these temples, in these temples. And um, they had the right theology, these mature Christians, but actually they were living wrong before God. Verse 1, verse 2. We know that all, we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Do you remember in this playground, I don't know if this ever happened to, to, to you, it happened to me. I was on the receiving end of this. I did something incredibly silly. And it, it was pretty daft. And I was a young kid. And someone, I, I don't know if it's Homer Simpsonism, when, duh, people remember that like, phrase, or maybe we still use it. And effectively, what it was, was I'd, I'd got it totally wrong in my life. And whatever it was, I'd done something silly. I may have and I ballooned the ball over the bar in football, or I may have missed an open goal, something like that. And someone referred to me like that. And it was that they, they knew, they were in the know. They knew how to finish, kind of, finish their, kind of, the sequence of playing football. But I didn't. And that they were someone who were going, duh, get it right, come on, stupid. And we have the same thing going on in Corinth. The mature Christians to younger Christians were going, duh, don't you know about this meat? It's cool, it's just meat. It's just a piece of meat. It's just a steak. You can eat it. But Paul is, is seeing this, and he's, he's teaching into it that there is a better way to live. You know, it's a little bit like me, um, uh, and a real example here, that how I love you as Mosaic South, that when I um, 
When I was a, a teenager, I was 18, I went to a, a New Frontiers Bible week and I felt God speak really clearly to me that anyone to whom I share the, the love of Jesus, the knowledge, kind of what, who Jesus is, I was to pray for them. And I was, I was to have my heart in the right place, that I were to love them as I share. And I remember writing these words in, in the Bible I had at the time, this kind of blue-bound NIV Bible. And I, I feel like sometimes in the last couple, in the last couple of months, as I've been at the front and I've been preaching or I've been sharing, I was like, there's something in me that wants to shout at you, that you should live a certain way and get it right. And you know, as I reflected on it as I've prepared this week, I'm so sorry if I ever come across in an unloving way, that it's such a privilege for me to lead this church in South Leeds, seeing uh, kind of us serve God here to lead people to Jesus in this community by his grace and in his power, and to see you guys who are blessed by God to go and be a blessing. And sometimes in the last few months, I've got it wrong, and I've treated you almost like pupils in a school. I've not treated you like brothers and sisters in Christ. And over the last seven months, being in South Leeds, um, it's been brilliant. But over the last few months, I've noticed my heart grow a little bit hard. And as in writing this preach, I've been really humbled. So I want to apologize, stand before you and say, oh, I want to get my heart in line as I read these scriptures. I want, to, I want to see you as my brother for whom Christ died. Read that later on in the chapter. And I want to lay aside any, any think, thoughts of knowledge that I have that means I feel puffed up. Verse, um, verse 1, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Imagine a balloon, you're, and you're, you're pumping up a balloon, and it's inflated. Yet, it's, it can be so puffed up, by some, uh, by some, some kind of sharp object, boom, it's exploded. It becomes nothing. That is not the type of knowledge we're to have. We're to have a type of knowledge that means we love. I um, let me um, get even even more kind of detail in terms of the way it applies to my life. Um, I sometimes have knowledge where I think I'm in the know, and it's most likely it's in within my marriage. So for me and Emma, I, we get into a disagreement, often because I think I know better. And it leads me to not loving Emma as I should. And the same thing's happening in here in Corinthians, in the Corinthian church. There, there are mature believers who have a knowledge about meat, about food sacrificed to idols, and it leads them not to loving their brothers and sisters. It leads to them actually being a stumbling block. Because what's happening is that these guys, kind of weaker Christians, as they have been saved out of their context, their culture, for them, Paul uses the phrase, it is they have a conscience, they have a kind of an understanding of how they how they live. And they they've got it uh, they've got they they want to believe a certain way and to live in a a certain way. So let, let me use the example of alcohol. Um, I had a friend at school, his name was Guy, his dad was an alcoholic and as a teenager he stood out a mile because he said, I am not drinking. Uh, and it's, it's not that the Bible says alcohol is wrong, but for Guy, as someone who, as he grew up, he said, because of my family background, I don't want to touch a drop of the stuff. And 
he, if I went to a party with him, I was like, oh, come on, guy, have a beer or have a whatever it was. Like, I was being like a mature believer in the Corinthian church, as, as Guy would be a kind of a, a new believer, saved out of a context where alcohol, he just didn't want to touch it. And for me to pressure him was, as the language Paul uses, is to defile his conscience. And so that's what we have in in Corinth. And Paul says to the Corinthians, there is a better way. And the better way is love. Verse 3, the man who loves God is known by God. It's love that builds up rather than knowledge puffs up. This is what is best. This is what really counts. The knowledge that you're completely known by God is a life-changing thing, that God has chosen you, God has called you, God has known you since you were, before you were born. And it's that knowledge that gives you freedom to love, to lay down any rights you have and to give up always having to be right in arguments. Let's just pause here. I want to be part of a church. I want to lead a church who want to be known by God. I want to know that I am known by God. Zephaniah 3, Zephaniah is a, um, a, a verse written by a prophet in the Old Testament. He's writing to the group of um, kind of believers in God, Yahweh, the Jewish people. And he writes to them and he says, God speaks to, sorry, Zephaniah, and he speaks to this group of Israelites. And he says, um, this is what the Lord is like. I want to read um, the whole verse. Chapter 3, verse 17. I want to spill a um, bottle of milk on my Bible, so a lot of the pages are stuck together. So I'm there. Um, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. There is a kid praise song that we have in the car. And the first song, um, the lyrics are, um, um, you make his day. That's, that's how um, the writer of the song, for my girl who's three, is simplified. You make his day. Do you know that? If you love God, if you follow him, you make his day. The creator of the whole universe, you make his day. You make your heavenly Father's day. This is where Paul starts with this argument, helping them get their foundations right. They have solid foundations so that they may live flexibly in the world. Behind me is a picture of Kevin Peterson. I prepared these slides um, anticipating the third test being played at Old Trafford, that he would score big runs. Because if he got a duck yesterday, it would have been pretty embarrassing to use him as an example. You see, the way he's playing the cover drive is with an utterly solid foundation. Textbook. Kevin Peters is one of the best examples for getting your feet, your head right, so that you can, he can wield his bat freely. And as I, was, I watched a little bit of the cricket yesterday, and he hit two consecutive sixes. Big runs, dominating batting. He ended up scoring um, a century, which is a big accolade in cricket. And you see, he can only do it from the position of a solid foundation. 
that if his, if his kind of feet are all over the place or if his head is in the wrong alignment, actually he cannot play the cricket shots he does. That he would kind of be leaning back and he'd knock it into the sky and he wouldn't get over the boundary rope. It would only go kind of just in the air so someone would catch him out. Or if he um, has a, kind of a, a fast bowler come at him who tries to bounce him and he's kind of off balance, he'll top edge it into the keeper's hands. You see, Kevin Peterson, utterly solid foundations so that he can live flexibly in his world, the world of Old Trafford kind of cricket ground uh, playing yesterday. Another example, I've got a little prop. This is my front wheel from my bike. That You see, the wheel is made up of a hub in the middle and the wheel. And at different points as the wheel kind of moves along the road, that's different surface has contact with the ground. But the middle, the hub is solid. It doesn't move. Yet the, the hub is solid. The wheel is flexible. Solid foundations, a fixed theology so that we can live flexibly in the world. As Paul writes to the Corinthians, in this chapter, he says we are known by God, solid foundations. There is no God but one, solid foundations. An idol is nothing in this world, solid foundations. That love is more important than knowledge, verse 11. Love is better, always better, sorry, verse 1. Solid foundations. Verse 6, yet for us there is but one God, the Father uh, from whom all things came. Jesus, through him all things came. Solid foundations, so that when we have a cultural issue that they have in, shall we eat this meat, we have many cultural issues that the Bible doesn't say quite clearly on. But when it does, when the Bible does say something about it, we can have solid foundations. Should we murder? No. Should we commit adultery? No. Should we have sex before marriage? No. Should we lie? No. Don't do those things. Got that right. Solid foundations. When there's a cultural issue, what does the Bible say? However, when the Bible doesn't explicitly say something, I used the example before about drinking alcohol, we ask a second question. What does my conscience say? And for Paul, he is very clear throughout the Corinthian letter, and in particular in this passage, where his, the conscience is, is really important. And he is actually highlighting where people have what he calls a weak conscience. Now, I wouldn't want us to understand that as people who are lower down than us, because as he talks about how knowledge puffs up, yet love builds up, it's, it's, it's exactly the opposite. He's not wanting people to view people like that. But where someone actually has a conscience that would mean they act differently, so in this case, where they actually are going to abstain from this meat because they're concerned um, about it, he says, okay, let your conscience decide. And in the 21st century leads, some of the issues we might face. Alcohol, should I drink? Clothing, what should I wear? Educating your kids, where should I send my children to school? Private school, uh, state school, home school. What films should I watch? Should I watch that film with sex in it, with violence in it, with bad language in it, with um, maybe celebrating an issue that we don't feel very strongly about, the occult or um, other films like that? There, but what about relationships? 
And if you're in a relationship, how should you act towards someone who is not in a relationship? What should I laugh and joke about with my friends? What should I avoid talking about in banter? How else shall we live flexibly in the world? And as I prepare this message to you, you have your own conscience, and it is a conscience that is God-given, and it's spirit-filled. That if you say yes to Jesus, that you're a believer in him, his spirit comes and dwells inside you. And so he, the spirit, informs your conscience if you ask him. Now, not just what does the Bible say, what does your conscience say? Third question we should be asking about, should we do this cultural issue, or can I do this cultural issue? What does my weakness require? Because, let me read verse 9. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. The weak, so those who have kind of a weaker conscience on certain issues, but that includes you too. Where you're weak or have a history of being weak, be honest about it. For some of you, laziness and apathy is an issue. Therefore, if you are a teacher, the next five weeks, you, have, you are off. You have a very long holiday. And it may well be it has the potential to expose your weakness for apathy and laziness. So you, what you to do, you are to restrict your freedom so that it doesn't cause you to stumble. Some of the gentlemen in this room, perhaps some of the women as well, have an issue of a weakness when it comes to lust. So you've got to make sure you restrict that. So you don't um, kind of watch lots of kind of films that have a, um, when you look on the back of them, a rating that says where there are scenes of nudity or um, the other kind of, uh, I can't remember the phrase that's used, but you look on the back and you say, actually, I, want to I need to avoid that because I have a weakness. Or maybe it's self-image and how much um, you care what others think about what you look like. And if you go into a hairdresser to get your hair cut, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with magazines in general. Yet if that is your issue, don't flick through Heat magazine and Cosmopolitan and, and OK magazine where image is lauded as the highest thing. To look good is the god of the, that society. And where you're weak, restrict your freedom so that you might not stumble. Where you're strong, freedom reigns. Enjoy what God has given you. We carry on through the passage, verse, verse 11. So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. Such emotive language Paul is using of the way in which the Corinthian church are getting it wrong in Corinth when it comes to these cultural issues. And we've looked, this first part of what I've said, where, what does your weakness require? What does your conscience say? Often it is about how, how it affects you. But I think the heart of the matter, I think the crux of what this is, is about how it affects others. And he talks about for whom Christ died. And I see that, and this is the motivating factor for how they should live. Not what I'm telling you now as a command or a rule. It's how Jesus has lived. Um, Jesus, we read in, the, in Scripture, was with the Father in the beginning. He was seated kind of with God in heaven. And from heaven, he came down to earth. 
He laid down his own rights of being God and came in to our mess. He considers us first before himself as he comes to the world. And he comes and he lives and he suffers and he dies. And he is in utter pain in the the story where he goes to the cross and he dies for us. You see, he gave up his rights so that we might be free, be truly free, and be truly freed to love like him. He broke the rules religious people made, but he didn't break the rules God made. He had a fixed theology and lived very flexibly in the world. Jesus had it all, but he gave it up for us. And following Jesus leads us to have a supreme consideration of others. Question, what can I, can I do this cultural issue? Fourth answer, what do my friends need? What is more important than my right to eat meat, drink alcohol, to kiss my wife in public, to celebrate my job promotion, to watch a certain film? What is more important? My friend. We see an example of Jesus, that he is the ultimate friend, laying down his rights for us. Paul, similarly, the writer of this letter, has incredible love for those he's writing to. And you see it in that quite a lot of the letters in the New Testament are written by Paul, his overwhelming love. And he says, verse 13, at the end of this, if what I eat causes my brother to sin, I'll never eat meat again. I'll give it up. I'll give it up totally for the sake of my brother because I love him. And when I say brother, I also mean sister. As Paul is saying, for those people who are in my church family, I'll do it for them. Our actions should never just be based on what is right for ourselves. Our actions should always include how does it affect others. It means we are sensitive. Let me use an example that I saw yesterday with my daughter who's nearly four and my son who's 18 months old. Um, and we, Caitlin had this green ball. She was playing with it. She was throwing, trying to throw it himself and catch to it. Caleb loves football, like balls. Anything that is spherical, he'll think, hey, I want to play with that. And she was playing with it, and he came into the room, saw her, had it, and he wants it. And Caitlin's still kind of throwing, no, no, Caleb, no, no. And he has a little tantrum, and he doesn't quite throw himself on the floor, but he gets pretty upset that he can't have the green ball. What, and I'm just watching. What does Caitlin do? Oh, okay. It's okay, Caleb. Here you go. She defers her right to play with this green ball. She had it first, right? That generally is the rule in the household as we've grown up. Yeah, but I had it first. She defers that. That is the knowledge that could puff up. For Caitlin, it's love that builds up. She says, here you go, Caleb. Here you go. And he runs off and he kind of boots it around. Amazing. And I was, yeah, seeing that in my family, it pleases a, as a father for a daughter, but pleases as a preacher, because that totally nails what's going on in the Corinthian church. And how we also respond. It's a tough one for me as I pre, kind, of, I kind of talk about this, how I can land this in your life. But I have been praying for you. And we prayed this morning as um, we kind of met as the guys who kind of turn up at nine o'clock, set everything up. We pray for you at nine o'clock that God's word would impact your life, that the Holy Spirit would help you apply this truth into your lives. And I've mentioned a few 
before, but it may be about singleness. So if, if you're struggling with, if you are, you know people who are struggling with singleness and you are not single, don't lord it over them. Act sensitively because you love your brother, you love your sister. If you know you've got a friend who kind of struggles with violence, don't push him into coming to see the new Wolverine movie. If you know a person who's just lost their job or they're really struggling in employment, don't keep going on about how great your job is or the celebrate the job promotion that you've got. It's not wrong to celebrate those. It's not wrong to watch the new Wolverine film. It's not wrong to kiss your wife in public. However, for the benefit of building up, seeing love build up the other, be sensitive. Um, we've got uh, the uh, mission group in the South, which is intentionally reaching out to internationals, people for whom Beeston or South Lead is not their home. And it means we have lots of different nationalities coming to that group. And Pete and Caitlin Cartledge lead that group. And they have some Eritrean and Ethiopian Christians who come to their group. And they they have a meal pretty much every time they meet. But the Eritrean and Ethiopian Christians do not eat pork because for them in their culture, is a is an issue. There's, there's an issue around it, and we know that pork is fine to eat. There's no issue with pork in terms of what the Bible says. Certainly not not now. Not as we see in the New Testament. You may read the old the Old Testament and think otherwise, but Jesus doesn't. No, 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 no. It's, it's not what uh, goes into your body that that makes the difference. And in their mission group, an amazing example that pork will never be on the menu. Because they don't want to see these Christians from Eritrea or Ethiopia kind of be def- have their conscience defiled or f- kind of fall. And let me let me just mention one more thing before we wrap up: conversations, what you talk about, banter, or kind of just tight living means you have great relationships in here. And as I look out, that I see people who are really tight, really close, that you love each other so much. Yet, if someone comes in to that friendship group, because you are so tight, it can often exclude. So um, I'm not naming any names, but kind of a couple of years ago, I witnessed this. And there was a couple of guys who were so tight that anyone who was with them was like, what are they talking about? Or in conversations or in jokes. And it actually made people feel excluded and insecure about themselves. We don't want people to end up feeling like that. And, but first, we take responsibility for our actions that we don't want to see um, a church built that doesn't consider the other. Flip that around. We want to see a church built in South Leeds that considers the other higher than ourselves. Having solid foundations, fixed theology, getting that right means we can live flexibly in our culture. And there's an extra section that I'm not touching on very much today. I've talked very, and I I believe as I read this passage, Paul is questioning how Christians are um, living with Christians. But we think about Leeds, we think about the hundreds of thousands of people who don't know Jesus. And ultimately, if they don't know Jesus, they are lost. They are far from him, and our job as the church is not just to love each other, but to love them. And I do see within Scripture, it is very clear 
that we are to, blessed to be a blessing. I preached on that a few months ago. And um, an example I, I, we were thinking about as we were praying in the morning service, is a guy called Chris Taylor from, he leaves a church in The Hague, and he came 18 months ago to a conference we run in the church called Love Nations. And he talked about how our love from God coming into us is to be shared out there in the world. And it was that to that. And he could have done that as a preach and almost explained it with no words. And the power of the symbol now in my, in, kind of fixed on my mind is one I want to re-remind you of as a church. You're loved by God. Jesus came for you. He laid down his rights for you so that you could love each other. You could love those who don't know Jesus. You can be sent to the world and be blessed to be a blessing. So su supreme consideration that we are to have when we're following Jesus brings these final three questions to hopefully apply some of this into your circumstance. Number one, as you act, are people brought closer to God with your actions? Number two, have Christ are Christians strengthened in their faith as you act? And thirdly, are people glad to have met us? Have we been a blessing? Have we loved them? Seeing Jesus, we see in Paul, love restricts itself for others to grow. Let us imitate his example as he imitates the example of Jesus. Will you stand with me? I'm going to invite the band back and we're going to worship some more. And we're going to be led in a song which helps us see Jesus, who he is and what therefore we do about it because of him and his sacrifice for us. And let me pray. God, all these things we're talking about, it's from you. As we read your scriptures, yet sometimes we're not quite sure what to do about them. So Lord, as we worship, that we would see you more clearly, we would know that we are known by you, and that we may love one another and love the world. Amen. Amen.